of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5, briefly, and then we are going to go on a wild goose chase. And when we do that, uh, I've, you should have a uh, handout in your bulletin of uh, sermon notes for this week. And I did that so that uh, you don't have to... Uh, you don't have to write all the verses down. I've given them to you on the paper. And uh, you're welcome to turn there if you like. And you're also welcome to just listen because I'll be reading most of them. But I've got them here so you can take them home with you if you're interested in, in doing such a thing. Let me go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for that song we just heard that the Bible changed never. Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Lord, we thank you for your stability. And we thank you that that you didn't leave your son dead, but you brought him back to life. And we serve a risen Savior. And Lord, we don't have to, uh, we don't attend a funeral service every Sunday, but we attend a resurrection service every Sunday. And thus, we can be excited about your word and excited about the things that you're doing in life Uh, Not just sad because things are lost, but Lord, we thank you for all of the blessings you give us. We thank you for our health, and Lord, I pray uh, in this next, these next few minutes, Lord, that you would keep me far from legalism. Lord, I pray that as we talk about a subject that is incredibly personal to some, Lord, that you would help us to have open minds, open ears, and open hearts. And Lord, I pray that Uh, regardless of where we fall on any issue, that we would stand fully behind your word. And Lord, that we could uh, serve you regardless of any disagreements we may have. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you that uh, the last few weeks have kind of been a doozy, huh? They've, uh, they've They've left us... uh left me especially, examining my life and, and the things that I do and the things that I participate in. And uh, don't just think that uh, if you leave here and your toes feel stepped on, uh, I've been crushing my toes all week. Uh, and just know that I'll do my best as we go through, as we go through life together, never to present something to you that I haven't dealt with in my own life. Uh, I, I can't stand a hypocrite. And so anything that I tell you will will have been uh, bathed in prayer, and I will have have seen true in my old life in my own life before I give it to you. That being said, this is going to be a tough week. Uh, we're going to cover a very small section of scripture in Ephesians, um, but this is a section of scripture that I intended to get through last week, but last week went last week uh, went a little long, and we weren't able to get to it. And so, having said that. Uh, I got to my office Monday morning, and I, I kind of asked God why He didn't let me get through everything I wanted to. And there was a passage of Scripture that I was going to to just breeze through in passing. And Monday morning when I sat down and opened our next passage of Scripture to get to, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to spend some time on this. Uh, I'm not talking about more time. I'm talking about a specific amount of time on on a particular issue. So let's get into Ephesians, and I'll tell you what the passage is. It's a question that most of the church has, but very rarely, very rarely does anyone ever ask. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and we're going to read through verse 21, says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. 
So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Some of your Bibles said, say, for that leads to debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So what I want you to see in this small passage of Ephesians, and in your notes, I've got a little chart up there, and the chart says, don't do this and do this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he starts a, he starts a list and this goes through verse 18. He tells you, do something, don't do something. And so in chapters, excuse me, in verse 15 through 18, he tells you to do four things. He says, be careful how you walk, be careful how you walk, be wise. In that same verse, he tells you, don't do this, don't be unwise. In the next verse, he tells you, do this, make the most of your time, because the days are evil. Verse 17, he says this, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In verse 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so in those verses, you have a list of things to do. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to be careful how you walk. You're supposed to be wise. You're supposed to make the most of your days. You're supposed to understand what the will of the Lord is. And you're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then if you were to to go over to the category of things he tells you don't do in that passage, he says don't be unwise. Now, I want you to to get on board with some some biblical language. To The Proverbs are going to spend a lot of time talking about Comparing and contrasting wise people versus unwise people. And it'll tell you very oftentimes that an unwise person is full of folly. Now, I don't want you to hear anything that when we're talking that an unwise person is, is stupid or ignorant or any of these other negative words that we were used. The Bible's very, very clear when it uses, in it, when it compares and contrasts wisdom and folly. Okay? And so, sometimes, Good people do foolish things. Okay? That's what happens. So in this verse, he says, do this. Be careful how you walk. Be wise. Make the most of your days. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he says, don't do these things. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. Then he says, don't get drunk. And so as I was reading that passage, I told you I've spent a lot of time with youth and college students. And the question on everyone's mind is, is, is Pastor Bobby, what does, what does the Bible say about drinking? Well, I've got a handful of, of, of verses here for you to go to, and we're going to walk through this issue of what the Bible has to say about drinking. And I've broken them up into three different sections. Um, I, when I started, when I started this on Monday, I only thought there were two answers. Now I'm convinced that there's a third answer. And I've broken these up into sections. If you see about halfway down on the list, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7, if you draw a line under that one, those first verses deal with getting drunk. Now, most Christians would understand that the Bible over and over and over again is against Christians being drunk. And so, let's go to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Now, 
Now, while you're finding, and like I say, you're free to listen along and you're free to turn to these verses, you've got them to take home with you. When I was in the army, something really weird happened. Uh, one day they woke us up early, and normally they woke us up early. That wasn't what was weird. What was weird is that everybody was nice when they woke us up. So they wake us up early, and we don't go outside to run and do push-ups and sit-ups and those sorts of things. They, they wake us up, they tell us to get dressed, and then they tell us to stand in the hallway with our faces against the wall. And I thought, oh great, what's going to happen now? Uh, normally that meant some sort of garbage can was going to go flying down the hallway. Uh, something, something, somebody had done something really wrong, and we were getting ready to get a reaming from everybody. And so they said, okay, turn around, put your face in the wall, and pull your pants down below your waist. This is weird. This is real weird. Now there's a, a line of guys in the hallway and all of their, their butts are sticking out. Great. And then a group of people who, who didn't do the same thing that we did, they were walking down the aisle and they stuck each one of us in the butt with a shot of penicillin. And there was nothing pleasant about that whole experience. Absolutely nothing. It was, it was awkward. It was weird. It's even weird telling you about it. Some of the looks you're giving me are even more weird. But the reason they called us all into the hallway and the reason that they gave us all a shot of penicillin is because strep throat was breaking out on the fort and they didn't want everybody to get it. And so the best way to deal with the the disease of strep throat was to give everybody a shot of penicillin and then that would stop it in its tracks. This sermon is going to be like that. This sermon is going to be awkward. Some of you disagree with this sermon. Some of you may think that um, I've seen something around that's making this sermon come up, but I promise you, that's where we were at in Ephesians. And I'm talking to you about this because I felt that the Holy Spirit told me to. Okay? So that's why we're doing it. It's not based on anything. There's no judgment going on. When you leave these doors, as long as you and I still believe that this is the Word of God, we can have a great fellowship together. We all are going to have different convictions on things, and I want to give you mine. Having said that, I do believe that my convictions on this are God-given and from God's Word. When you come to your convictions on this, this needs to be your guide, not what he said or she said or what a couple preachers back said. This needs to be your guide. When we disagree, we are disagreeing based on our interpretation of God's Word. Okay, So whenever you come to any sort of theological answer to a question, your answer needs to come from this. And you need to have places where you go to in this that help you justify whatever beliefs you come to. Okay? So let's get this party started. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Now flip over to Proverbs 23. While you're going there, Solomon in the Proverbs tells you over and over and over and over again, be wise. Be wise. Don't be unwise. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Don't build your houses upon the sand. So he will always be comparing and contrasting different people. And he's compelling you as a believer to be wise. And he's telling you very clearly that anyone who gives themselves to wine and strong drink is being unwise. Excuse me. Whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, 
Verse 29 says this, Who has a woe? Who has a sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? The answer is verse 30. Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. So he says, woe to the one who gives themselves, who lingers over wine. Do you know that the Bible oftentimes gives a woe to different people? Do you know that the Bible says, I'm going to flip there. The Bible says, don't, don't go here, but in Revelation chapter, chapter 11, I believe, let me just tell you so I don't have to look. During the tribulation, the Bible says, woe to the earth, for Satan has been thrown down onto it. When God says, woe, you had better watch out. Most of you guys are familiar with somebody saying, woe, normally in commanding a horse. When a horse is running you into a low-hanging branch, you holler, woe, woe, woe. You need to A, stop the horse, or you need to B, get off the horse before he runs you into the tree. And God here is saying, woe. Woe to the man who lingers long over wine when it goes down smoothly. This is me saying this, not God. You are comparable to a man on a horse running into a low-hanging limb. We're not going to read all these verses. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or you can listen. I know we're going fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 9, now all of these, remember, are about drunkenness. He says, this is Paul speaking to the, the people at Corinth, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. So just so you have a little background, what happened is Paul wrote these to these people, and he said for you to stay away from immoral brothers. And so what does the church do? The church closes its door to all outsiders, and Paul says, look, you guys are nuts. I didn't mean to stay away from the outside world. I meant to stay away from the immoral brothers inside the church. And you might think, oh, we don't have any of those. You'd be wrong. (laughs) He says in verse 10, I did not mean at all with immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Verse 11, But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And so he says, I didn't write this to you to tell you a way to stay away from the outside world. I wrote to you to stay away from the immoral brothers that are so-called brothers among you. So he says, stay away from drunkards, stay away from idolaters and people who are covetous. Don't even eat with them. That's pretty harsh, huh? And so if you weren't convinced that, that, 
that being drunk was wrong in the first place, now you should be convinced that Paul says, if there's someone among you who gives themselves to drunkenness, don't even share a meal with them. I want you to stay away from them. Avoid them. Now, maybe you flip over a page to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9. Now, before we start that, that's going to kind of be the end of our segment on drunkenness, right? So I've given you some verses, things at stores, and we go to restaurants where these things are served. We cannot know what people are thinking and what sorts of thoughts and emotions are being triggered by our actions. We just can't know. If I were to drink, if I were a drinker, I'm also a very thrifty guy, and so I would probably buy my alcohol in bulk. I would buy a box of liquor. I would buy a box or a case of beer. And what would the students think? What would my kids think when I walked out of the store with a case of beer or a case of wine? Most people who shop at our stores go enjoy that whole case immediately after purchasing it. So what if I'm walking through the food line parking lot? Are people to think of me when I'm purchasing these things? And you say, but I haven't done anything. We as Christians are to abstain from even the the look of evil. If you knew the number of students who have been physically abused by a dad who comes home from work, drinks, and then beats them, you would be blown away. If you did a poll in our public schools of the amount of people who were abused because of alcohol. And when they see that sort of thing, when they see it, even though they don't know what you're doing, the... In their mind, you're just like all those other people. And God's Word says here that you've been called out of that. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. You used to be those people, but you're not those people anymore. So I want you to read all of that in 1 Corinthians where he talks about don't do things that make people stumble. I'm going to go back and I'm going to pick up Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Matthew chapter 6 says this. I'm going to start in verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So remember, you have all of these Christian liberties, but they halt when you're causing people to stumble in their faith. Then he says, but whosoever, verse 6, causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. And listen to how stern Jesus is about not being a stumbling block. He says, verse 8, If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into fiery hell. Brothers and sisters, you should ask people around you 
what causes them to stumble. If you're not sure if it's causing people to stumble, if you're assuming that you're not and you are, it says you, it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and be thrown in the depth of the sea than for you to cause a little one to stumble. And so if your convictions don't match mine, do this. At least give a common courtesy to ask those around you if you're causing them to stumble. If you, if you, each one of you in here, if you saw me taking alcohol. Now, we're not in the drunk stage. We're just, we're just trying to get up to point. We're stopping shy of being drunk. If you came to my house on the weekend and you saw me drinking a beverage, would it lessen your view of me? Most of you, if you were going to be honest, would say yes. If you were going to be honest, it would. I am not special because I'm a pastor. I'm not special at all. There are qualifications that I have to meet to be a pastor. Yes, but we are all children of God and we are all called to be Christ-like. And so if, if me taking a drink would lessen your view of me, what do you think of people's views of you? And you may think, well, they didn't think highly of me to begin with. Well, that's a problem in and of itself because you're a child of God also and they should because you've been called out of all of that. So now we go into Leviticus chapter 10. So this is where I was. Tuesday morning, and I'm keeping an eye on our time, okay? Tuesday morning, I was here. This is where I finished. I would tell you as a brother or sister in Christ that you should abstain from alcohol because of the fact that it is causing people to stumble around you. And I can promise you, I don't make many promises, I can promise you that if you're drinking alcohol, you're causing people to stumble around you whether you think you are or not. Okay, And so my argument would be strictly based on, yes, you as a believer, you have the liberty to drink, but that you should not because you're probably causing other people to stumble, and I don't want you to do that as a Christian. And so part in that, my thinking is this. If you grew up in a culture where drinking was normal, if you grew up in Germany, if you grew up in Italy, there's no problem having wine with your dinner. That would be my thought along this, because in that culture, you're not causing anyone to stumble. And so there would be some freedom there. And so I've often thought, okay, I'd love to sit down and share a glass of wine with my wife over dinner. Some of you are thinking, oh, oh my gosh, you're a sinner. I don't know. Here we go. I'd love to sit down and do that. So I thought, maybe if we go on a vacation to Italy sometime, we can, we can share a glass of wine. But now my ideas have changed. Okay, go to Leviticus chapter 10. Now, before you jump my case and you say Leviticus is all the old covenant, I'm with you. It is the old covenant, but I want you to see a principle here that I think there are principles in the old covenant that are are still near and dear to God's heart. And we're going to wrap this up quick. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8 says this. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Now, keep in mind, Aaron is a priest. If you wanted to serve God, if you wanted to to be an official servant of God, you had to be a Levite. If you wanted to be a priest, you had to be a son of Aaron. The priests were the ones who went into the temple, they ministered before God, and everyone else was kept out. Okay, The priests were the closest people to God. The high priest is the one who could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies once each year. These, this is speaking of the priest who served God in the temple, or in the tabernacle. Verse 8, the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, 
Verse 9, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting or the tavern. They're very closely related. It's confusing. But when you come and you meet with me so that you may not die. That's pretty strong, huh? Aaron, you and your sons do not drink wine or strong drink when you come to minister before me in the tent of meeting so that you will not die. This It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations, verse 10, and this is the statute, so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean. And so God tells the priest, I don't want you drinking wine, and I don't want you drinking strong drink when you minister before me, because I want to separate the holy from the profane. And so separating the holy from the profane profane here is directly tied to your intake of wine and strong drink. Now you go over to Second Peter chapter 9. This is when the heat gets turned up. First Peter chapter 2 says, I'm going to start in verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Lord so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to Him as a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God, verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up to a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you, you, everyone here, you are being built up as spiritual houses for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so you, brothers and sisters, are being built up, and your purpose as believers is to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. I don't want you killing lambs, saying that's what the preacher said to do. You are to offer up spiritual sacrifices, just as the priest did. Then he says in verse 6, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay as I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. That's Jesus. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. That's also Jesus. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Verse 9. But you, this is all of you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's you. You are a holy nation. You are a holy priesthood, and you are a chosen race, a people for God's own possession. That's you. Remember, the Bible speaks that there once there used to be a great high priest every year that would offer sacrifices, but now we have Jesus Christ who is our great high priest, and you, once you became a believer in Christ, you became a priest also. You, as a believer, are a priest of God. Then he says this. 
But you, this is verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, brothers and sisters, my view now is that we are priest of God. And God calls the priest of God to set themselves apart by not taking wine and strong drink because He wants to separate the holy from the profane. You are called out of darkness into light. And so what if I'm wrong? What if I'm drawing a line in the sand that's a little more severe than it should be? If you go by what I say and you begin to abstain from drinking, what a grand testimony you'll have at the country club when people say, why aren't you drinking anymore? And you say, I decided that the Bible was against it and I'm choosing to live my life the, my life the way God says to live it. Have you ever in your life had a chance to say something like that ever? Doing this will give you that opportunity. When you're with all your friends and they say, why aren't you doing this anymore? It gives you a perfect chance to enter into telling them about how you are beginning to get your spiritual life in order and you're, you're beginning to wrap your life around God's Word. Brothers and sisters, when we look just like the rest of the world, there's no reason for anyone to give their life to Christ because they are just wasting their time on Sunday morning. But when you give your time on Sunday morning, and you give your time on Wednesday night, and you meet together with God's people, and you, you live your life righteous as you, like you've been called out of the world, then people have a reason to give their lives to Christ. But if we as believers in Christ keep living like the rest of the world, there's nothing to this Christianity thing. It's a waste of time. You, brothers and sisters, are called to be set apart, and you're called to be different. I know this doesn't, doesn't resonate with all of you. I get that. If I'm going to be at the back door. If you go out the side door because you don't want to shake my hand, I understand. You laugh, but some of you guys dodge me anyways. If I come to your house and you're sharing a drink, I'm not going to say bad things about you. Okay? We all have different convictions. Don't think I'm standing up here in judgment of you if you disagree. We can still be friends as long as you get your convictions from here and you can prove them. Okay? We're still good with each other. Last week, you could have seen me as a giant hypocrite. I want you to, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not God. Okay? I'm God's mouthpiece sometimes. And you are responsible for what you and the Holy Spirit work out for in your own life. I'm not. If I am, then we become a legalistic group of people and I sit up here in judgment of you. But that's not what we have. Okay? We are a church. You, if you are saved, have the Holy Spirit. And your spiritual life is, is best worked out when you and the Holy Spirit are on the same sheet of music. But let me tell you this. When you have to wonder if something's appropriate or not, what do you tell your kids? You tell them, don't do it. If you're ever in question, don't do it. Dad, I was wondering about this. Don't do it. Dad, I was going to do this, but don't do it. 
Sometimes we, as mature believers, would be real suited to follow the same advice that we give our children because it's good advice. But for some reason, we think when we're mature, we don't have to follow the simple rules anymore. So brothers and sisters, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying that you don't throw all of your rotten crop at my house. I'll be praying that you don't throw tomatoes and all those things. I love you guys. care about you. And I want you to do business with God this week. So if you guys would stand, we'll sing our song of invitation. I'll lead us in prayer, and then Jonathan will lead us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thank you that you called us out of darkness into light. And Lord, we pray that as we strive to live our lives in a godly fashion, that you would help us to rid our lives of anything that's not pleasing to you. Help us to be a people who are not easily offended. Help us to be a people who would, would readily cut off our hand if it caused us to sin so that we wouldn't cause others to stumble. Lord, we treasure our relationship with you. And Lord, our desire is that your Holy Spirit would not just be a still, small voice, but that he would be incredibly loud in our ear and that we would be obedient to everything that he says. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you guys for coming. I appreciate you bearing with me. You guys didn't seem too mad. I do want you to know this in leaving. It is not easy to live a righteous life. It hurts. It hurts bad. And if you living a righteous life isn't bringing you physical pain day in and day out, you should question how righteous your life is because it's hard. Life's not always easy. There's not an easy way to become more Christ-like. It's hard. Not everybody's going to tell you that. You're not going to turn your TV on and see that. I'm telling you the truth. Guys care about you. I only want the best for you, and I hope you guys have a great week. Don't forget, next week is homecoming. Uh, I hope that you guys will take some of these postcards, mail them out to maybe people who haven't been here. I hope you'll give them to your neighbors. Once you leave here, they all go in the trash because they're useless, right? Next week's homecoming. I can't beg you to take them anymore, so take them all for me, uh, and I hope that you guys will have a good time coming here. Um, uh, don't forget next week uh, in homecoming that we'll have lunch following the service. Uh, if you're here and you're a visitor and you don't know what we do for homecoming about uh, about how we go about having a meal afterwards and what you need to bring, if you would call me and, and ask me. I'll tell you the truth, I'm a little confused myself, but I do know that we're going to have good food after the service. And uh, so you call me and I'll figure out exactly what we're supposed to bring uh, so that we're not without a bunch of food. I hope that the place is packed out. I want you to know this very last thing. These last few weeks have been tough. They've been tough on you. They've been tough on me. Homecoming service is not going to be like that, right? Not going to invite, get you to invite all your friends and then me shoot them with both barrels, all right? That's for you guys. It's because I love you, all right? We're going to, it's going to be a, a pretty laid back service all about the idea of homecoming, going home. There's a couple different times where God calls us to meet with him. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to wrap it up with what I hope is a very clear gospel presentation. So just because the last few weeks have been tough, don't think that I'm, I'm asking you to invite your friends into that sort of thing. This is going to be a little bit different. We're going to get away from Ephesians for a little while. And then some of you guys have asked me, hey, you're not going to skip the part about wives submit to your husbands, are you? No, I'm not going to skip that part. Uh, but I'm also not going to skip the part about uh, husbands loving your wives like Christ loved the church. And so they're equally as, as challenging. And so don't worry, we'll get back to it uh, if you don't want you to lose sleep over it. Um, <laughs> Brother Mike, would you mind closing us in prayer?